Hi, everyone. This is Kyle from The Career Guide. And before we start our podcast today, I just wanted to say thanks for listening and subscribing. And I also wanted to make sure that you knew that we have a free community for graduates, young professionals, or really anyone that's interested in finding, starting, and managing their international career. So go ahead and check the link in the show notes, and you can join us inside the community where there's 130-plus members already striving to achieve their international career. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you inside the community. And now on to our podcast. So you have to enjoy it. It has to be fun, and you have to look forward to that. You know, I'm not being conscripted into war in a foreign place. I do this. I do this because I enjoy it. So I think enjoying it, and clearly, my early experiences shown me early on that it's something I would enjoy. So of course, I pursued it. Hey, everybody. This is the Career Guide Podcast, brought to you by Capacity Building International and your host, Kyle King. If you've dreamed of working abroad and having an international career, this podcast is for you. Every episode is an interview with someone from the international community. We hear their stories, how they got started, and about their life and experiences while working abroad. Each episode will provide you with personal insights, tips, and strategies to help you launch your international career. We hope you enjoy this episode and make sure to follow us on LinkedIn and sign up for our career newsletter so you don't miss out on your future and opportunities. Today we're joined by Olivier Girard, who is a French-Canadian currently working in Ghana as a chief of party for the USAID Littorals Regional Initiative, a five-year, $70 million program supporting local counterparts across five West African coastal states to withstand the increasing pressures of violent extremist organizations. Olivier spent the past decade living and working in West Africa, working for USAID and Millennium Challenge Corporation-funded programs in Mali, Chad, and Nigeria. Olivier holds a BA in International Development Studies from McGill University and a Master's of Science in Economics from HEC Montreal Business School. Father of three, he likes to spend time lifting weights in his garage and reliving his childhood by playing Legos with his children. Olivier, thanks a lot for joining us today and, and welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you, Kyle. Nice to, nice to be here. Thank you for having me. No, absolutely. It's, it's a real pleasure. And one of the reasons why we wanted to have this podcast is to talk with international professionals such as yourself about what it's like to live and work in the international environment and sort of the challenges that you've had, if any, with regards to having an international career. So aside from that introduction, maybe just uh, give us some information about where you're currently working and, and what it's like where you're at today. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm pretty lucky. I'm based in Accra, Ghana, which is a growing uh, city in an in a optimistic uh, country. I think a lot of countries in West Africa that I've worked with have had difficult trajectories in the past 10 years with, with insurgency, violence, and coups. But when you come to Ghana, there, there's an energy here. They want to attract people. They, they're attracting investments. You see the city is growing. Of course, it is clogged with traffic jams, but uh, there's definitely a positive energy here. It feels safe. Lots of place to go outside of Accra with, and I, and I have a young family, so there are plenty of places to go with the kids. So it's really, it's been great. Uh, I've been here for six months now and uh, we're really liking it uh, coming off of three years in Nigeria and for that Chad and uh, the rest of the decade was spent in, in Mali. So uh, I've been in West Africa for over a decade now. Time has, time has flown pretty, pretty quickly. Yeah, I imagine it does. Now, when you originally start out with your career, did you always want to be in Africa or how did you actually start? No, so I 
Well, first of all, as a as a kid with my parents, we moved a lot from place to place. Every three years, every five years, all, all always inside Canada. But I guess from a, from my childhood onwards, I always had this notion that I would be moving around. Uh, and then when I was 18, I took a gap year before before going to university and worked in England. I worked on farms. I worked in a pub in a hotel. Then traveled to Southeast Asia, to the Middle East, uh, to North Africa, and and that really I think prompted me to want to study international development studies and work internationally. So that I and and that first year I think really from a, you know a personal standpoint really uh, helped me I guess mature. Uh, discover new things, broaden my horizon. So when I came back and started university, I knew what I wanted to study. I knew what I wanted to do. Uh, I was much more motivated. I think w- one thing I, d- I didn't want to say is that I, during my university years at McGill, I did do volunteer work for uh, what was called then the Free Burma Coalition, so a coalition of of pro democracy Burma groups. And that led me to meet a lot of people. I traveled to Washington for conferences. And then it, it landed me my first job post-grad in Bangkok, working for a Burma-focused human rights group, which is still in existence today, I believe. And so that was my first pro- real, I would say, real professional post-undergrad uh, job in Bangkok, working as a researcher in a human rights organization. Had a great time, uh, traveled all over Southeast Asia for a couple of years. In my second year there, I volunteered for uh, what we have in Canada called QSO, which is similar to the British VSO, a bit different than the U.S. Peace Corps, but I guess it's a similar type of demographic attracted to it. So, though, and those, those experiences really, I guess, shaped me and, and uh, propelled me to wanting to continue working internationally. Came back, studied economics, and then was recruited out of grad school by a uh, an engineering firm that did some international work, and that's what eventually led me to to my first uh, first few short trips to to Africa, uh, to Mali, precisely. So yeah, I think it was from an early age and using volunteer work and volunteering in general as a as a pathway to to an international career. That's a good point, and a lot of the uh, graduates and young professionals I talk to, there's uh, there's sort of some sort of background right, that is driving them towards an international career. With you, it was sort of maybe moving quite a bit and and things like that and having this sort of diverse experience growing up. But you had also mentioned the volunteer work aspect to what you were just talking about. So how important did you think that was, or do you think it is now sort of reflecting upon that in terms of shaping your perceptions about international careers? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it, it was absolutely critical. It was a, It was a political involvement in a human rights group uh, joined a few protests, uh, met other activists from Burma that were in exile, people from the UK, people across the US, Canada, elsewhere. It did shape my understanding of, of those issues. And then when it came time to find a job, I had that credential because the the human rights NGO was looking for people with, with some notion of what the Burma pro-democracy issue was in the early 2000s. And I had two, three years of volunteer experience to show for. And people within that network that knew me, that could recommend me, uh, et cetera. So it was absolutely critical. And then after that work in Thailand, when I went to grad school, grad school, you know, when they reviewed my application, they saw that I had two years of professional experience abroad. So that played a role in getting getting some scholarships. So it all it all built on each other, on one thing built over the other. 
So I would definitely, whatever your interest may be, I think finding something like that outside of the school curriculum is something I'd recommend to anyone. Yeah, and I think that's important. I mean, we're sort of not advocating that you have to volunteer for any real reason. I think your motivations no. have to drive why you of want course. to do those things. But what I think it was is, and I want to kind of pull on this thread a bit with you, is is that you chose to get involved, right? Yeah. So you made a conscious choice to get involved in something, to be proactive, to go out and get involved. And because you made that choice to go out and get involved and you built connections, you built, you know, opportunities for yourself because the opportunity to work abroad wouldn't have presented itself if you had not made that decision to get involved about something. Exactly. Right? And, I, and I think that in a lot of things that we talk about in terms of the advice we give to people is you have to at times create the experience that you need. And so you yeah. have to go out and you have to sort of, if you don't, if you're not finding it in education and the academic environment, you're not finding it in your current employment, there are other ways to go out and seek the experience to get actively involved in the community and then create the experience and profile and portfolio that you need to be able to meet future qualifications. Yeah. And, and, you know, beyond. Yeah, correct. So, of course, when I joined, you know, the Free Burma movement, I had no idea that I would get this job two, three years down the road. I wasn't thinking two, three years ahead. You know, it was going from one semester to the other. But and involvement, you know, what, what my what I do now is management. I manage a team. I lead a team. We train a team. We encounter obstacles on the operational side, programmatic strategy, relationship with donors, et cetera. That's that's actually not directly related to my graduate econometrics courses that I did in grad school, but it has a lot to do with the type of small challenges I, I had when I was involved in those groups. So when you, when you join a volunteer group, you, you are faced with challenges that have to do with management and leadership. So I think that's a great way also to gain that practical experience, which you don't have in the classroom most of the time. No, that's true. And I, and I think you raised a good point there, which is sort of this confusing situation of where you have a degree and you're working in a field that's completely sort of unrelated. Right? Correct. And, and part of the, the advice that we tell, you know, we give people in terms of trying to not only determine what kind of graduate degree you need, because you largely need a graduate degree to work internationally. It's just sort of the way it is, is that it can often not be, I mean, your, your work may not be based on your graduate degree. So, we often have to use job market data, which will tell us and indicate to us what type of degree we should pursue. But I think for the most part, one of the confusing pieces, and I'm glad you talked about the degree, the, the degree component, is the fact that the requirements for the position are often just graduate degree yeah. within a relative field. So international relations or something related to, you know, sort of yeah. this kind of larger, broader context, unless you're going into a science or a specific, you know, technical skill set that we're often not really working in directly the, the field that we've studied. Now, more often than not, you are, but there's very many cases where we're not doing actually the exact thing that we've we studied in, in the academic environment. And so I think that's important also just to note because the fact that there's often not a direct correlation between what you studied at a graduate level and then the, the job that you're actually working in. Yeah, and, and I would say one thing that has hit home with me in the, in the past few years is that and, and it, it may be self-evident for most people, but, but for me it wasn't. But, you know, we really need to continue to learn all the time and read, read a lot all the time. And so I think you can choose a graduate degree. It may not be what you end up working in, but you still you, you should see your learning path way beyond just the graduate degree. 
and even when you have a job and even if, in my case in my job i get to learn a lot on the job um, because I, i travel to new countries and we constantly meet new people and uh, and we develop activities that uh, enable us to learn about issues but you still need to keep learning keep reading keep updating yourself the world is changing fast what i studied you know my my undergrad was is, has now been 20 years uh, 20 years ago so if you don't keep up you can be obsolete pretty quickly even if you work internationally so um, yeah very yeah, important absolutely and that's and that's actually a skill set i think to be right the the consuming of information because just the sheer amount of information that's out there today you know in in my office we get a summary of news every day And then it's just numerous articles and you have to be aware of what's happening in the environment. So you're just constantly consuming information yep. uh, and processing what's happening in, in sort of our operational environments so that we understand the dynamics with our the host nation and everything else. The process is really nonstop in terms of learning about, you know, our environment, the people we're working in with, the cultures and everything else. So that's a, that's a great point. But you had mentioned, of course, now you're at a management level. So let's transition a little bit back to, to your journey. You started out volunteering, you worked overseas for a couple of years, then you pursued a graduate degree, which sort of opened up more possibilities of working internationally. Now you're, you're sort of at a management position. So what, what was this sort of journey like for you in terms of getting into where you are now over the last you know, decade or so of working internationally? Have there been any real memorable moments for you or periods of where you pivoted or transitioned that, that stand out? Yeah, so I... I... I was, I think I mentioned I was recruited out of uh, grad school into this engineering firm that has small economic studies department in Montreal. They had contracts in Francophone West Africa. That got me to an initial three-week trip to Mali that turned into an 18-month assignment on a Millennium Challenge funded uh, program in rural Mali. And that really is where I, I think I got my calling for this long-term Uh, development work and my first real opportunity. I was I was very lucky. Uh, I was again at the right place at the right time, and I think for a lot of us, it's what happens. I was brought in as a junior contributor during the startup of the program, and then they needed more work, more support. I was there. I was available, uh, and I said yes. And I think that that's maybe a critical piece is that. Uh, it may not be the place that you dreamt about. It may not be the opportunity that you thought you would get. But if you have, you know, if, if a bone is thrown at you, you need to hold on to it um, and keep at it. And in my case, it was three weeks, then it became seven weeks. And then, oh, can you come back next month? Okay, can you stay for three months? Okay, can you do for six months? And I, and I said, you know, yes, I'll, I'll do it. And that's how I then had on my resume 18 months of, work on a development program in Mali. And that was a foundation for further work that I did in Mali after that. And a lot of it in this, so I work in the international development industry. Uh, USAID is uh, a major donor, of course, in the US. Uh, USAID works with implementing partners. Some of them are non-governmental organizations, some are private organizations. It may, it may sometimes come as a surprise to people, but private sector firms are heavily involved in, in delivering uh, development assistance. I, so I work with one of them and they, they bid on contracts. And so you, your name is put on a bid. You can win some, you can lose some. I was lucky. The firm that I was with won uh, a large contract in Mali for three years. They brought me on as sort of a junior expat to manage one field office. And I... I had the opportunity to grow 
within the organization, within that project. And again, I was chosen to be put on that bid by that company because I had had that prior 18-month experience. So I had the credentials. I spoke, I speak French, I speak English, and I had the prior country experience they were looking for. So a lot of it, and, and I, I see this a lot in the people that I work with, is right place, right time, an opportunity presents itself. You seize it, you're there, you have your foot in the door. Once you have your foot in the door, then you build yourself up, you build the relationships, you build your credibility, then another opportunity presents itself. So for, for every place that I've been, it's always been a contract that we won. And so had we not won the contract, I would not be I would not be in Ghana today if, you know, the company I now work with hadn't won the contract here. So it is in my in my specific case, it's not public service. There's not a there's no job security. There's no, there's not a set career path. It's it's contract work. So you go from one contract to the other. It has advantages, but one disadvantages uh, that it's there's some precarity involved and you, you, you have to rely on your, your social skills and your ability to deliver on what the client wants. Yes. That's, that's, there's a whole career management piece that nobody talks about. Yeah. Uh, and, definitely. and that is it. And it's really interesting because in a number of the other, you know, interviews that we've done, it's generally with career professionals, like international career professionals. So at least a decade already working overseas. And, and the one thing that we have all really discussed more in depth, even after the interview is the fact that the, the career management piece is really lacking in terms yeah. of just sharing information and knowledge and how do you manage these things when you are working on short-term contracts or, you know, generally, as you know, there's this three-year cycle that kind yeah. of happens with donor-funded projects and, and missions and everywhere else. But I think that one point I wanted to sort of bring out of the, the last piece that you mentioned is the fact that you're saying yes to these opportunities, although not ideal. Yeah. has, you know, and continually saying, yes, I'll take it. I'll, I'll, I'll work on that and I'll take on this project and that project, even though it's short term, not where you want to be, not the ideal situation. It's not what you dreamed of and envisioned. You're not sitting in Brussels at a headquarters, you know, but yeah. that is exactly how you started building out your portfolio, so to speak. And, you know, mm -hmm. post-graduation, and that's what led you to get listed on other, you know, sort of contracts and to be put in in other bids. And things like yep. that. So saying yes and being prepared to say yes may not be ideal, but it's only, I would say, even temporary, right? So it's not for forever. It's just for now. But that is building yeah. out your portfolio and building up to a new and, and other things. And in my case, I had a great time, you know, so I, I don't want to convey that I, I wasn't happy with my, I, I love my posting, you know, but it's the kind of posting that I probably would not be able to do now that I have a family. So at the time, it was a, the perfect assignment and I, I, I have great memories of of working in, in parts of rural Mali that are now completely inaccessible because of the insurgency and the, the jihadis uh, operating in those areas. But at the time, it was it was it was great. I had a I had a great time. And um, as you say, like if I had to give an advice to anyone, is if you have these opportunities, if it's in rural South Sudan or Central African Republic uh, or any place that's uh, you know highly highly challenging on many counts. I would do that in a heartbeat because it, it's also it, it it trains you it forms you if you're able to to manage that then uh, everything else after that will be will be easier. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you feel like international careers are for everyone? No. Um, you know, I, I I say like so in in the work that I do, we are confronted with 
problems between farmers and herders uh, over land management. And that's a prevalent issue in many places in West Africa. And I like to say, you know, that the nomad and the sedentary will always have a bit of trouble identifying, you know, with each other and under relating to each other. You know, I, a lot of my family members have, you know, grown up, lived their lives in one place and would not ever imagine leaving their hometown or their home state uh, or province for somewhere else. So you have to enjoy it. It has to be fun and ha you have to look forward to that. You know, I'm not being conscripted into war in a foreign place. I do, I do this because I enjoy it. So I think enjoying it and clearly my early experiences shown me early on that it's something I would enjoy. So of course I pursued it. If you come at it at a later age, there may be a risk that you, you discover that it's not something that you like. Um, and, and I think people have different trajectories as well. Some people like it for a while, but they, they really don't see themselves as doing that long term. And they, they do want to go back for family reasons to to, to their home countries. Um, in my case, I, I haven't felt that yet. So I'm, I'm pretty happy to be where I am today. But I think that's very depend, go, depends from person to person. Right? And you have to listen to yourself. I mean, I, some people I. I come across people and I say, oh, you know, you're, you're probably due to go back home. You know, <laughs> you're probably past your expiration date um, as, a, as an expat. Um, yeah, so, you, I'm, you know, I'm sure you've seen cases like this. Yeah, yeah. definitely. There's, there's many sort of environments I've been in many countries and you, you run across the staff there and then you say, well, you've been here for a long time. You know, yeah. you can sort of tell when people need to maybe rotate and move on. Um, they're either very entrenched into the organization yeah. and maybe lost some objectivity or they're just, you could just get the overall feeling that it's time to take a break and they should uh, get a change of scenery, so to speak. Yeah. And I think you have to, I mean, so life also international life or, or normal life, you still, I mean, a lot of it, I, I think has a lot of, when I look at my daily life with my kids, you know, waking up, fixing them breakfast and school, going to work, coming back, bedtime routine, uh, maybe a bit of Netflix once or twice a week. But, you know, so so life is, but you have to manage yourself. You have to rest. You have to look at it over the long run. If you, you know, projects, project-based work like I do is often exhausting at the beginning, in the middle, in the end. So if you don't watch yourself, you don't take care of yourself, you can burn out. So and that that's another common thing that you see is people don't manage their energies over the long term and then, they're burnt out and they, they need to go back. Um, so definitely self-care, very important. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So when we talk about managing an international career, so let's let's focus on that for just a couple of minutes it's because that's yeah. also very interesting. So we've talked to, and, and briefly mentioned sort of project-based timelines, donor-phoner projects. You, you know, you talked about winning a bid for a particular project for a certain amount of time. What is your sort of perspective and maybe your system in terms of managing these, say, periodic engagements, this repeating engagements and, you know, every this kind of life cycle of international projects? What is your sort of view on that type of career lifestyle? Well, I I, I like to. So I, I've seen in my case, I've I've been project to project back to back for the last eight years. I haven't stopped. So it's been pretty hectic. I think I have a lot of leave accumulated that I haven't taken going from one to the other. I found it easier to find a new contract while you're still working. And for me, it provided me with, it generates less anxiety 
than stopping, taking a break, and then finding the next gig. I preferred to be able to transition while the project I was on was towards the towards going towards the end. Other, but I know a lot of people that prefer to stop, take a break, maybe go back and work part time or work in the home office in Washington, for example, for six months for a year, and then try to find other international work. And, and that's a very personal decision. But I, I, I think the, that's something that I'm starting to think about more is more the long term, because there's not once. So in, 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 again, in my industry, you're, you, you manage a program for USA, you're a chief of party, as they call it, or maybe a country director for an NGO. But there's not really a career path that makes you progress while you're still in the field. Like there's no real higher positions you would have to go work on the either the USAID side as a as a foreign service officer, for example, if you want to progress in that field, or go back to uh, headquarters and work in headquarters in Washington. But that's not field work. So I think, and those are those are questions I think people have to answer for themselves as to what once you reach that manager level. What's next? Do you just go from one program to the other, from a different country, from for bigger programs, or do you just pursue pursue something else um, entirely? So I'm 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 a bit at that stage where I've been doing this for on USA projects for eight years eight years now. I love it. I love what I do. I wouldn't do anything else. So, but I there's not a clear path ahead beyond you know the current contract. So I think it's always something you have to rethink. In terms of the family too, is, is the next post going to be fun for, for the family? Are there going to be opportunities for them, et cetera? Yeah, and, and I'm glad you raised that point too, because at a certain point, you know, if you work internationally long enough, then the, then the family issues get involved, right? Mm-hmm. Then there's this family planning aspect and you can't always just accept every assignment, right? Exactly. And so that's, that's also an interesting dynamic that people often forget about is that at some point, if you want to continue working internationally, you have to start integrating what's it going to do with your family? What about the simple logistics of life? You know, like you had mentioned before, you know, school systems and whatever the case is uh, in terms of what does that objectively mean if you're going to take this long-term assignment somewhere else? And that's another sort of thing that's not advertised very well either. It's just sort of assumed that you know, you're handling that, that all of that yourself, right? So you're self-aware, right. you understand everything, you know, and, and you're going to make a decision whether or not you want to work internationally. Exactly. And yeah, and the family piece is critical. I think, um, you know, I, I've been lucky in the sense that my my partner and I, you know, were wanting to do this together and living in different countries in Africa. So it, it worked out well for us. But it's certainly challenging for everyone. It's challenging for single people to meet people when they're overseas doing work like you know, like we do, uh, and then deciding to have kids, have a family. Yeah, and and every you know everyone's different. Everyone has their own ambitions. But it, I think it's it's certainly something that you again you have to maybe have some intentionality, have to have to think through how how you're going to make it work because it, it doesn't always work out well. <laughs> <laughs> No, that, that's really true. That's that's the other sort of untold story about international work is sort of the impact it has on your personal life. Um, exactly. So now you're in a position of, let's just say, you're getting more senior in your career and you're, and you're, as you had mentioned, like chief of party is kind of one of the top field positions unless you want to go work for USA directly or back in DC or, or some other organization. In terms of 
the career planning when you're getting to this more senior level, what does that look like for you? What is your sort of vision on what that means? Uh, you had sort of expressed the idea that you could continue at that level as much as you'd like or want to, but then you have to sort of face a decision at a certain point. And I'll relate this back to what we talk about in our in our sort of forums with graduates and young professionals. But so to, to kind of rephrase it, so, you know, I basically tell people that when they start their career, it's good to start, say, three years in the field environment and progressively three years by three years. You know, if you're picking different assignments on average, right, it's not a perfect system, but yeah. on average, you know, if you pick seven assignments every three years at the end of 21 years, then you're eventually going to get to that higher level position in Brussels or in DC or something like that. So it's a bit of a career ladder that you can develop and you can build. It doesn't exist. You have to create it. Yeah. So what is it? What are sort of your thoughts as you're getting into the position of being more senior in your positions? You've already reached a, a nice professional level in your future. What, what goes through your mind as an international career professional in terms of your options and, and visibility, like in terms of your own perspective on career planning, I guess I would say. Yeah, I, I think so. Go, going back to the junior stage, going back at the beginning, for me, what was clear is that what's valued for junior people going in is the the ability to pay attention to details and to produce. You know, in my case, it was producing reports, producing information, analyzing information, supporting the senior management with the tasks that they not they did not have the bandwidth to do. And often later on in my career, when we brought junior expats to come and join our program, it was because we needed someone to cross the T's, to dot the I's, to make sure the reports were coming out on time, make sure the files were managed correctly. So there, because that sort of attention to detail was very hard to find locally. And there's a premium for that. And because, again, USA, the client is looking for processes that are compliant with the files that are complete with everything in order. So very often we've brought in junior consultants or uh, junior staff uh, fresh out of grad school or even undergrad uh, to help us do that. And again, those were young people that were at the right place at the right time. They had the language skills, et cetera. So we brought them on and then they ended up staying. Uh, I've seen that many times. And then as you, pro as, as you progress, you have to be able to uh, enjoy both the programmatic and the strategic and the operational. So what I do in practice is procurement, it's HR, it's logistics, it's uh, compliance issues, uh, you know, a, lot, a lot of contract work. So plus thinking about this, the strategy, what are we trying to achieve? It's managing the team, it's hiring people, it's firing people. So, so the broad, so, and those are all skills that I think are highly valued uh, in any organization. And the people that I've seen being able to progress are people that are able to thrive and, and deliver in these different aspects of the work. If you're just a technical expert in your field, but you don't know how to manage human beings and empower them, motivate them, uh, you know, get, get them to deliver the results, work over time to achieve a goal. Um, if you don't have those social skills, it's gonna, you're, you're gonna be, you're gonna have a hard time as a manager. And similarly, if you're just focusing on the operational side, if you're like a finance graduate or an accounting graduate and, and you, you know the numbers, you know how, how it works, but you're not able to step outside of that and look at the program, the, why we're here, what we're doing as an organization, 
and and what's what's the bigger picture here again i think you're going to have a harder time moving from your like from your your line your your line management your your finance line or your procurement line and go into general management of, of a program or, or leadership of an organization so I, I and i think as you mentioned those three year blocks i think being able to do that whether you're and i give this advice both to local and to international staff if you're able to put yourself in the shoes of your managers above and try to gain their skill set um, then you're going to be able to progress and in my in my own recent experience i've had two hr managers become country directors of ngos and in both of these cases it, it was because they did not see themselves as just hr managers they saw themselves as helping the organization achieve the goal so they helped me fix problems with our grantees in the field they helped with oper- other types of operational issues procurements dealing with dealing with the authorities with the military etc so they were able to step out of their little scope of work and help us and we therefore we were able to see their potential so that that's really i, I think going from the junior to the more senior acquiring these these skills and and not letting not saying oh you're not an ops person i'm not going to do operations i'm just going to be programmatic or or vice versa and then i think getting to a more senior stage i think you can take those skills and perhaps and of course i haven't done it so i um we'll see what happens with me in the, in the next few years but uh i i think those skills are valuable and then when so if you're able to do to, to manage projects, manage people, those those soft spots, you, you're able to then perhaps transition to another industry if that's what you want to do. Yeah, that's important. I'd like to think that um, the way I, I mean, I share those views, and the way I communicate that is there's value in being able to sort of operationalize policy, right? There's value in being able to go from head to hands, meaning tangibly create something from an idea. And yeah. so if people can develop the skill set of going from simple just, you know, concept to design to implementation and the tangible technical skill sets of doing that, quantifying their efforts, communicating it and and building out all the everything that goes around that in terms of a project, those are really valuable skill sets because you know that somebody is able to take an idea that you just whiteboard out somewhere and then go develop it and bring it back to you. Right for more feedback and tangibly create something, and that process of creation is incredibly powerful and incredibly valuable in terms of not only delegation of responsibility but being a part of a management team, uh, upward mobility in an organization because you're demonstrating the capability to not only have a vision but to create it and and you know implement it and measure it. So I think yeah. that's that's all a, a definite reality. I, I maybe maybe things have changed since I left uh, university, but. I know that one thing I realized going into the workplace is that as a as an undergrad or even as a graduate student, we didn't have a lot of opportunities to interact as a team, to work in teams, in small teams and bigger teams. I did that with my volunteer work, but in the classroom, it was always, you know, individual assignments, essays, exams. And it was so it was mostly individual work. Now, I know like MBA programs, for example, they do emphasize teamwork, but I, I do think that that's also critical um, if you don't have that to find to find opportunities to work in a team and see what it's like. And if you've done sports, then you know what that means. But I, I do think 
being able to thrive in a team environment. And especially now, those sort of large decentralized teams with people in the field, people in different parts of the world, being able to communicate effectively uh, is, is absolutely critical. I mean, I would attribute my the, the success that I've had in my in the last few years mostly to communication skills, those types of soft social skills, being able to to motivate, influence the people around me um, to achieve our goals. And that's not something you learn in school, at least not in the classroom. Yeah, definitely, definitely. It, it's a it's a powerful skill set, and in, as well as you know the the cultural intelligence that goes behind it. Especially if you want to work internationally and being able to to live in different cultures, be immersed in a culture, and be able to communicate across cultures is also yeah. uh, quite a valuable skill set to develop as well. So we're getting towards the end of our uh, interview already. Uh, one last question I'll ask you that I ask everybody. Um, now that you're sort of looking back across your your professional career and, and working in the international space, if you were going to do this all over again, what would you do differently? You know, I, I'm, I'm happy to be where I am. So I, I assume it's the product of my, my successes and my failures or, you know, unbeknownst to me uh, or known to me, but I don't, I was incredibly lucky. You know, I think luck and being at the right place at the right time played a big role. Could I have been more intentional? Would that have led to a better outcome? Could I have tried to plan it out more? Um, I'm not. I'm not sure. I'm not sure I could have planned it the the way I did. But I, I think certainly the foundations were there. I did study international development, so I had this interest. So I think I was sort of manifesting that interest and pursuing it. And then the opportunities presented themselves, and I I seized them. Um, as as you pointed out, I think there there's not a lot that's being told about. The, the mechanics of international life, uh, even the you know things like taxation, planning, long term, like so maybe seeking out those types of resources earlier on to to be able to man to have a plan for the long term. But again, it's hard because often when you, when you launch into this international work, you don't necessarily know if it's going to be for a year, for two years, how where it's going to take you. Um, so I don't I don't think I'd fundamentally do things that are different. I think. You know, for example, I did this this volunteer work for the, the Free Burma Coalition. I probably would advise me to continue to, to even broaden that and to try to do more things and more challenging things and more difficult things. Um, you know, have I pushed myself hard enough? Should I could I have pushed myself harder? You know, those are the kinds of questions I ask myself. But fundamentally, in terms of the, the choice that I made, I think I'm, I'm pretty happy with uh, with the cards that life dealt me and. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm actually excited to, you know, I, I'm turned 40 last year, so I'm sort of due for a midlife crisis, but it hasn't happened yet. So we'll see what happens. <laughs> I have a theory about that, actually. So okay. I have a theory about that. The fact that when you work internationally and you, you, you see and experience so many things yeah. that you don't necessarily have a midlife crisis because a midlife crisis, in my opinion, <laughs> is is generally the lack of having a life like that right the lack of exposure yeah. to all these different dynamics and environmental issues and you know countries and cultures and travel and all these things to, to have a life fulfilled right yeah and I, I think that you you don't have one when you work internationally because you essentially are doing and exposed to so much that you just never thought you would have before that you don't feel this like you're missing out on anything that's not exactly <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it's it's a good it's a good one. I you know I I have friends that I, I talk to once in a while that 
back in Canada. And, you know, sometimes it's like, oh, but you, you know, Olivia, you're, you're lucky you have, you're living all these adventures and things like that. So um, I, I'm very happy to be where I am. And you're right. It's very fulfilling. So I, I and I think the world needs, the, the world needs more people that go and live in different places and are able to, to understand and um, that we're, you know, we're essentially all the same. We have the same aspirations and um, yeah. So I, you know, I come here, people ask me, Oh, why, you know, where are you from? They say, I'm from Canada. So I'm going to move to Canada. I say, yeah, you should move to Canada. You should go and experience what it's like there. And I'm very happy to be here experiencing your country and what it's like. So uh, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thanks so much. I really appreciate your time. And, and it's really interesting to, you know, to hear your perspective on your own career and, and sort of how that's helped shape your professional development and personal development. And I think these both of these things really go hand in hand when you want to work internationally. I think we grow, you know, personally, we grow also into our career field. And we, we certainly come back a different person after it's all over. So thanks again for your uh, your time and and sharing your thoughts and ideas with us and certainly we'll we'll be in touch and look forward to seeing where you go in your future career thank you sir thank you Kyle it was a pleasure and good luck to your uh, to your audience I hope they I hope they have success 